I'm Adam Munster-Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Eddie Herz of InsideTheRams.com, also part of the 24-7 Sports Network. we got a big game coming up this Friday, Eddie. You know CSU better than anyone. I could do all kinds of research, vice versa. I think this is a great setup. We'll do a podcast. We'll kind of break down the matchups for Friday night. First off, though, a year ago, Mike Bobo was battling with some health issues. Mm-hmm. Seems like he's doing much better. Yes, he is. I mean, he still isn't running around practice, but, you know, he's on his own feet. He has been, I think. That's been very encouraging for the team, obviously, to not start in such a weird negative note like last year. So, Anything uh, that CSU fans or reporters are kind of curious about the, the Buffs this year? Uh, just kind of to see how they fare under Mel Tucker, just to yeah. start things off. You know, always question marks with a new coach in there. Those first few games are always shaky, potentially. So I think we're just kind of curious to see how that plays out yeah. for him. It's been a while since a CU first-year head coach won his first game. Right. So obviously Buffs <laughs> fans are hoping for uh, d- something different to happen this time around. Let's kind of jump into this matchup-wise. We've heard Colin Hill has a lot of potential. I think I saw him listed as maybe the fourth best quarterback preseason going into the Mountain West Mm -hmm. uh, season. What are your expectations for the passing game? What can Buffs fans expect their secondary to face in terms of a challenge on Friday night? I think the expectations are high, as they always are. I mean, you lose Preston Williams and B.C. Johnson, so I wouldn't say it's going to be that great right off the bat. But Colin Hill has had a great camp. Uh, aside from a couple interceptions in one of the scrimmages, he has done outstanding. He's very confident in himself. I think kind of getting thrown into the fire and shaking off the rust last year is going to bode him well going into this season, if that makes sense. You know, you got Warren Jackson through the air. He'll be a top wideout. Nate Craig Myers, Auburn transfer, probably won't be eligible. CSU coaches are not really commenting on that yet. But it's, it's going to be another lethal passing game, and CSU is definitely going to lean on their passing game even though the running game is improved. Is that the, the strength of the entire team, is being able to maybe go over the top of some defenses? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, the offensive line is going to be a concern. Colin Hill might not have the most time in the world, but, yeah, I mean, they're going to lean on Colin Hill's production for sure. That's where I think if CSU, just this is my personal opinion, if they win on Friday night, it's because – they're electric over the top. There's some question marks with Colorado secondary. Cornerback, they should be as good, maybe even better than last year, but they've got two new starters at safety. Mikhail Onu, who came in as a graduate transfer from SMU, and Aaron Maddox, who saw some action last year towards the end of the season and is finally stayed healthy for a while, is going to be the other starting safety. But we've heard through preseason that the CU receivers got the best of those defensive backs on a very consistent basis now. Colorado is expected to have a really good wide receiving core. So how much of it is that versus CU? Are they going to struggle in the secondary? So that's uh, one area. I think if you're going to give CSU an edge in this game, it might be there. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the other side of CSU's offense in terms of the running attack? Marcus McElroy, CU Mm -hmm. fans are familiar with him. He he was a Buffs recruit at one point. Of course. What what do you expect to see from those two backs? I think CSU fans should definitely be excited for those two backs. Marcus McElroy is a guy who only rushed for about 200 yards last year, but, you know, Bobo admitted early in camp they should have given McElroy more chances. Izzy Matthews really struggled to be productive at all points this season. McElroy's had a great, he's had a great camp. You know, he has a great story, too. He defeated blood clots a couple years ago. 
he's a really a man on a mission. He's a good power back, and you know his skills kind of complement Marvin Kinsey, a speedster, a playmaker, very well. Also, an upcoming freshman, Christian Hunter is probably going to get some reps as well. The running game is better, but I think again it depends on the offensive line, and there are still a lot of question marks on that offensive line. You have a true freshman starter and Nordy Noelli starting there, and T.J. Storman, a JUCO transfer. A lot of moving pieces on that line, and a lot of question marks. So it's going to be dependent on the line, but the rushing attack is definitely more talented and deeper. Is it going to be kind of a running back by committee, or what would you you know anticipate on Friday in terms of the the carries allocation? If Marcus McElroy's your workhorse back, he's going to get most of the carries. I, I'd say Marvin Kinsey's going to go out for passes, and he definitely will get some carries too. But McElroy's your early down guy. He's also your goal line guy. He's going to get the majority of the carries. I think as the year goes on, you're going to see guys like Christian Hunter, maybe Jalen Thomas get more carries. But to start the year, I mean, the coaching staff, very confident McElroy. He's your running back right now. We've heard Tyson Summers, who CSU fans are familiar with. He was their DC back in 2015. He mentioned that he thinks CSU's tight ends are going to be among the best they face this year. I think Cameron Butler is kind of the, the lead tight end there. Yes, Cameron Butler is, but you also have McBride, a very, very talented tight end. It's the first time in a while CSU's actually had a couple good options at tight end. There's been a really good competition in camp between them, something we also haven't seen in a while. I mean, they've struggled to get their tight ends involved in Bobo's offense, but now they finally have the pieces to do so, so I think they're they're making a point of that. Actually, on their depth chart, Trey McBride and Cam Butler are listed as or, so they're kind of both your number okay. one tight ends. You also have a good freshman in Kyle Helbig, even Gary Williams. The tight end core is deep, definitely. It sounds like it all, it's all coming down to the offensive line and how they perform. Pretty much, rest. yeah. That's what I've been saying all offseason. Yeah. I'll still say it now, yeah. Well, what's the concern there? Just lack of experience or talent? <laughs> lack of experience, probably technique, talent too. A lot of, lot of penalties on that offensive line last year. You haven't solved too many problems. I mean, Barry Wesley's a guy who was a walk-on, ended up being their best offensive lineman last year. He will be again this year, so you can lean on him. But other than that, you have Scott Brooks playing center. Not a true center. Um, Like I said, a Juco transfer and a true freshman starting on the line. Jeff Taylor, who's one of their only other veterans, has dealt with injury concerns in the past, so they're going to need him to stay healthy. And then, like, their third most experienced player on the line, Keith Williams, is benched to start the year. So you you have a lot of youth on the line and just a lot they they don't know about it right now. CU's front seven is interesting in the fact Nate Landman and Mustafa Johnson. Johnson is a first-team All-Pac-12 preseason selection. Nate Landman, second-team, really elite guys. Mm -hmm. But around them, there's a lot of question marks. Their other inside linebacker spot is not even solidified as of two days ago when I talked to their inside linebackers coach. Jonathan Van Deest, a local kid, is probably going to get the start there and get the first crack at it. On the defensive line, Terrence Lang is kind of a promising sophomore that only has he has less than 300 snaps under his belt, yet he's the second most experienced guy in that group. Redshirt freshman Jalen Sammy is going to man the nose tackle role. He hasn't played football in two years. He gray-shirted, then redshirted because of an injury. And then you look at the, the backups on the D-line, they're true freshmen or well, there's a JUCO transfer. So all fresh faces there. I don't think CU fans quite know what to expect. So it sounds like CSU fans don't know quite what to expect from their offensive line too. So that's a really intriguing matchup, I Absolutely. think, for Friday night. Mm-hmm. If CSU is going to have success against CU's defense, what do you think is going to be kind of the key there? If CSU is going to have success against CU's defense? Yeah. 
Probably the probably the passing game, like we said. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, like we said, CSU's offensive line has a lot of question marks. It can get better throughout the season, but I think, you know, week one they're going to throw the ball as much as they can just with the concerns there. Yeah, I think it's going to be the deep threat. It's going to be relying on Warren Jackson through the air and just seeing as much as Colin Hill can do. Absolutely. It sounds like CSU's pretty multiple on offense. How, how would you kind of describe what their scheme is and what they, how they, they try to attack other teams? Uh, I mean, like we said, definitely vertically through the air. I mean, they'll hand the ball off when they can on early downs. But, you know, you saw times last year when they're trying to kind of get the run game involved and kind of trying to force it, it just kind of hurts them. You know, they'll run on first down and lose five yards. It'll screw their whole drive. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see them pass it two to three times per possession, absolutely, per set of downs. Going over to the other side of the ball for, for both teams, we haven't heard a whole lot about CSU's defense. What's, mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like they have any you know, preseason, all-conference guys. Are there some underrated guys in there? How would you kind of break down their defense defense from uh, you know starting from the front seven to the back end? Yeah, the defensive line is definitely their strength. Emmanuel Jones, I think, was third team preseason all conference from Phil Steele. So I don't know if that's official Mountain West, but yeah, yeah he's a great guy off the edge. Jalen Bates, an Arizona State transfer, graduate transfer. Those two defensive ends are going to work together very nicely. You got Ellison Hubbard, a veteran on the line. Devin Phillips, a nose tackle who really burst on the scene as a true freshman last year. The defensive line's their strength. Linebacker, there's obviously a lot of questions. I mean, you lose your two leading tacklers, and Trey Thomas and Josh Watson each over 100 tackles. So concerns there, but they do have some talent. It's going to be interesting to see how they distribute the work there. You have Max McDonald, a Fort Collins kid, stepping in there. He's kind of the leader. Tron Folsom, another graduate transfer from Troy. He was all Sun Belt second team two years in a row. So they have some talent. Defensive backfield will be... A concerned area, again, you ever shot a Jai, a true sophomore who started every game as a true freshman. Other than that, they have a lot to figure out. So I think a priority for the defense is not getting beat on as many big plays like they did last year, especially like we saw in the CU game. So that's something they have to focus on for sure. You, you talked about some of the grad transfers they have in mm-hmm. there. Throughout the course of the preseason, did it sound like CSU's offense was getting the better of the defense or vice versa? Did, did you get kind of a sense or was it a, a pretty much a back and forth? Well, using the scrimmages as an example, I think the defense dominated both. I think in the last one they had forced like four turnovers, two interceptions, two fumbles. And, you know, you kind of do have to take that with a grain of salt because, like we've said a million times now, the offensive line is a concern. The defensive line is their strong suit, so they're just going to dominate that offensive line the whole time. So you don't necessarily know what that means. But, I mean, under Mike Bobo, this is always an offensive-heavy team. The defense should be improved, but I don't think you can expect the defense to outplay the offense this season. Yeah, obviously Colorado returns Steven Montez, a fifth-year senior at quarterback. All the physical tools hasn't quite been as consistent as people wanted the previous two years, but honestly, the offensive line play made it tough on him. Even when he had protection, it was almost like he had PTSD sometimes <laughs> in the pocket because he didn't trust the timing in his head. You know, the the clock the quarterback should have, and so he would sometimes get happy feet and uh, at times poor technique throwing off his back foot, but. Generally, I mean, this is a guy that I expect to be drafted in April. Who knows how high? A lot of that's going to be based on this season. Uh, at receiver, obviously, everybody knows about LaVisca Chenault, uh, one of the front runners for the Bulletnikoff Award. And this is the deepest receiving core that I've covered at CU. Mm. They really go six to eight deep. 
they're going to have to sustain drives to be able to get the rotation to go that deep. But Katie Nixon returns, Tony Brown, a former transfer from Texas Tech, enters his senior year, uh, kind of a picture of consistency with him. And Daniel Arias, uh, they're going to try to get him on the field. He's a, a 6'4", 205-pounder that, that can go up and get the ball. And Dimitri Stanley from Cherry Creek out of the slot. So they've got a lot of weapons there. We talked about maybe the concern for Buffs fans going against CSU's offense is that they might be able to make some plays over the top. It sounds like Mm -hmm. kind of the same thing on the other side of the ball, that you're kind of concerned with CSU's secondary. So so you might have a big day through the air? Yeah, I mean, I would say so. And like you said, Montez has a lot of – he's got a lot of NFL potential. The offensive line hasn't made it easy on him. But, you know, when that guy's comfortable and has time, he's going to burn CSU like we've seen before. Speaking of that, I mean, like you said, he – Often is forced off his back foot. That's what Bobo's talked about all week pretty much, is trying to get him uncomfortable and make him throw okay. off his back foot. But, yeah, I mean, I think both teams are going to succeed through the air. It's interesting because I, I thought that two years ago. I thought it was going to be a shootout, <laughs> right. but instead there were just a lot of penalties and no points were scored. But, yeah, yeah I would say it's going to be a passing game for sure for both teams. Colorado had Philip Lindsay as a 1,000-yard rusher for two years. They brought in Trayvon McMillan from Virginia Tech. He was a 1,000-yard rusher last year. They don't have that one workhorse back this year. Alex Fontenot, a sophomore, I think he's got about a dozen carries under his belt. He's the most experienced guy in that group. So there's Mm -hmm. question marks with that. Uh, But Jaron Mangum comes in from Michigan, a kid that had 47 scholarship offers and just seems to kind of have the it factor. CU fans, just like any fan base, is going to be generally optimistic about fresh faces and, and they think those guys are going to be pretty good mm-hmm. kind of like what you were saying with CSU it's going to come down to the offensive line I think that's the same thing with CU they are more experienced up front they brought in Arlington Hambright as their left tackle he's a, a graduate transfer from Oklahoma State played well for the Cowboys last year and pretty much everybody else on that old line is a year older so CU fans I think are optimistic about the offensive line but We've heard they're expected to have a better group there before, and it hasn't shown itself on game day. So kind of taking a wait-and-see approach there. Mm -hmm. Do you expect CSU's defense line to to cause some issues then, given maybe some uncertainty with CSU's O-line? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's a very, very improved defensive line group, like I've mentioned. It's always interesting going into this game, though, because you 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 have a Mountain West team against a Pac-12 team. There's always a lack of size in comparison and athleticism. So... I think even if CSU's defensive line thrives down the stretch, they may not in this game. So, yeah. you know, I always I always approach this game as a, from a non-biased reporting standpoint differently than I approach Mountain West games because there's just, you know, the two programs aren't equal. So we'll see. I mean, CSU's defensive line is going to have to get gritty. They're definitely motivated to do so. they got to stay clean too. But, yeah, I think they can cause some problems for sure. In special teams, CSU has one of the best punters Ryan Stonehouse in the country. Mm-hmm. What makes him so good? Uh, he can just kick it deep, man. He honestly, what people don't realize, I guess he kind of set the bar really high his freshman year, but really didn't improve as much as most people thought okay. he would last year, but that's kind of just acting spoiled because, like you said, he's top three punter in the country. Yeah, he pins it deep. He's accurate. His accuracy definitely needed work last year. But, yeah, I mean, if that kid has a monster year, it's going to really help the defense out for sure. How are things looking at place kicker for the Rams? It's a little bit of a question mark. I mean, you lose Wyatt Bryan wasn't the most consistent kicker, but he was their starting kicker for four or so years. You have Braxton Davis, who is definitely going to man the kickoffs because he actually did a lot of that last year. But Bobo has really refrained from mentioning who is going to kick field goals. 
I would guess it's going to be Braxton Davis. It could also be this kid, Caden Camper, who hit a 59-yarder in one of the scrimmages earlier this year. Um, also, Max Paduska. It's kind of a three-man show right now. I would say it's going to be Braxton Davis because even though he hasn't kicked a lot of field goals in a CSU uniform, he, has, he is the one who's actually seen the field the most. Okay. Yeah. What, what do they have in terms of returners? Brendan Fulton right now is listed as one of the returners. He is a redshirt senior. He's battled injury issues. He's a wide receiver. I could see him returning the ball. I don't know why you wouldn't have Marvin Kinsey, the running back we mentioned before, returning the ball. Probably the fastest dude on the team. I would say as the year goes on, he's definitely going to take some punts and kicks backs just because of his explosiveness. Alex Kinney is Colorado's punter. The last five games of the 2017 season, he had the best yards per punt average. Last year, though, in week two against Nebraska, suffered a broken collarbone. So he was out until late in the season, was able to redshirt, come back this year. He could be a guy that you know is in discussions for postseason awards, so uh, he's got quite a bit of talent. James Stefano, they're 30, I think he's 32 or 33 now from Australia. Uh, he was really good his first year as a true freshman. Last year was never healthy. He got injured in camp and was five of eight during the season, but just, again, was not never really healthy. So they're expecting uh, good things from him. In the return game, I mentioned Dimitri Stanley out of the slot receiver role. He's going to be their punt returner. His father, Walter Stanley, was a really dynamic returner at CU and in the NFL for a long time. So I think it sounds like special teams, at least punter-wise for CSU, and in terms of kicking and punting for CU, both teams expect to have pretty good special teams. Yeah, I I wouldn't say you can expect the kicking department to be good right now, but yeah, I mean, punting should be good. They have explosive returners. They're going to need to figure out who's kicking field goals pretty fast, you know, because CSU's not going to win games at ease this year. If they're in close games, they can't afford to be losing games on missed field goals, so that definitely is a priority right now. CU's over-under for win total is four. That's mm-hmm. what the odds makers have said. I believe CSU is three and a half. Mm-hmm. Not as much hype, I think, as a result of the, that coming into this year's Rocky Mountain Showdown. How, how is the CSU fan base from what you've gauged from your message board? Is, are they kind of down on this team or is there some optimism there? I mean, you have your typical fans who are always optimistic, but I think, you know, the general population is just a little frustrated. They're ready to see results from Bobo, you know? He goes 7-6 and his first three seasons, can't win a bowl game, and then they collapse last year. You know, more than anything, they need to see rivalry wins. They need a win like this. The fans do, and also the team does. I think, you know, I don't want to say the first game of the season is going to define their season, but I think if they win this game, it can really help them down the stretch just from a motivation and inspiration perspective. They do get a tough draw. They play a lot of the tough teams, the Mountain West. They don't have a lot of gimmies this year. But, you know, I think if Colin Hill is as good as we think he can be, they're going to be in a lot of shootouts. They could definitely win more than three and a half games. I wouldn't say more than six, but I, I think six is realistic. It's a realistic ceiling. Is there any pressure on Mike Bobo? Or is it a situation because they just gave him an extension the previous offseason that they're kind of stuck with him at least going forward for a couple of years? I think there's still pressure regardless of the extension because, you know, fans are getting upset with the lack of wins and the lack of big wins, and he definitely feels that. You know, he was kind of thrown into a head coaching role when he wasn't necessarily expecting it. You know, it started off decent, but they've underachieved every season, so there is definitely some pressure. He's on the hot seat. I, You know, it's hard to tell how hot that seat is yet. We'll see maybe toward the middle of the season, but, yeah, I mean, they need to start winning some games. What are your expectations Friday night? Uh, it's got to wait and see. I said that earlier this week. I think the first game of the season, you can't be too blunt with your predictions, especially this one. I think anything could happen, but 
I would say it's going to be close. The, what's the line? Like 13, 13 and a half? 13 and a half right now, I believe, yeah. It's kind of like the standard Pac-12 Mountain West line, though. Well, we haven't seen this big of a spread in this game for a long time. Yeah. And actually, this is the biggest spread we've seen in the Rocky Mountain Showdown in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times they work close. I think that might have a little bit to do with just the last couple of years right. it being more of a blowout. And maybe the odds makers are kind of adjusting to that. And then, obviously... Uh, you know the the low expectations for CSU this year, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know if you're CU and you go into this game cocky, you're setting yourself up for failure. You are, and I was just saying I think the line is kind of reflective of maybe the odds makers have no idea. I feel like a standard line they give to a Power Five team against the Mountain West team is maybe two touchdowns. I could be wrong. Yeah. I think it's within a ten point game, a high scoring ten point game. I wouldn't put my money on CSU. I would say 34-27 CU, probably. Yeah, I said 42-27 CU, but I don't know if I've ever been right in this game. I've never been close. (laughs) It seems like, yeah, when I expect a close game, it ends up being a blowout and vice versa. So so we'll see. What would constitute a successful season for CSU this year? I think if you, after last year, bounce back, win six games, sneak into a bowl game, regardless, that's a winning season. Even if you lose the bowl game, at that point, it'll be frustrating for fans. But if you respond from how much of a disaster last season was and everything with Bobo, and, you know, he motivates a team who doesn't have anything going their way to still manage to go 500, make a bowl game, stay competitive, I think that's, that's very big for them. I think that's what they need to do. What's interesting with CU is, I mentioned, the over under from the odds makers is four. If Colorado goes 5-7, and seven, there's going to be a large faction of the fan base that views it as a disappointment because he had a fifth-year senior quarterback, LaVisca Chenault, and those guys. I mean, LaVisca's got two years of eligibility left, but we all know he's gone mm-hmm. after this year. It would be kind of a thought that they didn't take advantage of the talent they had, at least on the offensive side of the ball this year. But if they go 5-7 and seven to the outside, I think a lot of people would think Mel Tucker had a successful first year. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a, an interesting dynamic right. there. What's been your view of the CU program from the outside? You know, obviously you dive deeper into it when this matchup comes up every year, but what is kind of the general thought about what CU's been and, and the kind of the potential for, from a Fort Collins view? I think the potential is that they could probably win five to six games, like you said. I mean, I think Fort Collins, the Fort Collins fan base probably has sympathy for a program bringing in a first-year head coach. I mean, everyone knows that's tough, and that's interesting how you brought up the contrasting perspectives there. Me, personally, I think it would be a winning year for Mel Tucker in his mind if he strings together five wins, but I understand CU fans being upset otherwise because you don't want to waste talent. I don't know. I think CSU fans kind of think of CU is they blow out CSU and they think they're high and mighty and then they can't really hang in the Pac-12. CSU fans obviously have some more animosity because they can't beat CU, but yeah, I think a lot of them don't think very highly of CU. Yeah, I got a chance to tour around CSU's new stadium recently. Mm. It was pretty nice digs. Oh, yeah. I know there's a lot of CU fans that want nothing to do with this game on the schedule because they feel like it's a Mm lose-lose. You beat CSU, it's expected. If you lose, then it's the the sky is falling, right? Right. But I'm excited to actually cover a game up in Fort Collins next year. Yeah. What, what's 
What's your favorite part of the new stadium? Ooh, man, you got the new Belgium beer porch. It's pretty awesome. Awesome views up there. Just the layout's nice. Just honestly having it be on campus is so great. There are complaints because they had the big dirt lot at the old stadium where you could tailgate, and that is your traditional football stadium. I get that. They are missing that. But it's cool to kind of see people tailgate and be involved with game day actually around CSU's campus rather than driving 20 minutes away and then getting stuck in an hour of traffic. So I think the location is honestly just really awesome for CSU students and fans in general. Do CSU fans seem to care that this rivalry is going to have some breaks coming up in the future? Uh, It's hard to say right now. We'll see once the breaks actually start. I think people are excited, and I'm personally excited, that it's going to be a home-and-home type thing. I think having it be at Mile High Stadium is awesome, but you know, having to make a team go on the road and deal with the road crowd and then the other team do it the next year, I think just creates more excitement for each fan base per year, you know? Yeah. CSU fans will be super excited when it's on their campus. There'll be a battle for tickets and vice versa to CU. I think true rivalries are meant to be like that. You know, the neutrals, like, kind of defeat some of that excitement. I remember the last time CSU played in Boulder. They won the game, and the CSU team went to – middle field and was stomping on Ralphie's logo. Right. And, yeah, I know that's an image that is making CU fans throw up in their mouth right now, but (laughs) that creates animosity, which is good for CU because they don't have a natural rival in the Mm Pac-12. And I, I know it's kind of this battle with CU fans to embrace CSU as a rival, but I like animosity and yeah. that feeling like Nebraska's coming to Boulder this year. Right. And there's all this hatred between the fan bases. That's fun. Yeah. That's what college football is all about, in my oh, opinion. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember growing up with the CU-Nebraska rivalry. I wasn't even a CU fan, but I went to some of those games with my family, yeah. and I could feel it in the air, you know? And you don't really feel that at a neutral site. Yeah, I think I think having a rivalry, making it home and home, really just brings up that intensity, like you said. Well, one more in Denver before they uh, go back to campus, like you mentioned there. It was great to meet you, Eddie. Yeah. Looking forward to covering Friday night, actually seeing some some football. How much access do you guys get up at CSU as media? Uh, we get practice. Well, during the summer, we had practice like four days a week. We get to take pictures for like three periods of practice, which sometimes is like five minutes, so you never really know. But yeah, we get media availability every day for the most part. It's actually shut off until the showdown. But yeah, it's pretty available during the summer. There's only like me and four reporters there. So yeah. yeah. All right. Well, 8, 10 p.m. on Friday Mountain Time on ESPN down in Denver. Looking forward to it. Thanks again, Eddie. Really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate being here. Awesome. And thanks to all of you for tuning in.